welcome to 139, the official podcast of Love Times 2. Here is your host, Mike Victor. Hey, welcome back to the Love Times 2 podcast. Uh, We've got a special guest today, Jordan Wooten. Jordan is going to share with us some perspectives on the church and cultural engagement and all of the different dynamics that just swirl around it. And I hope as a listener that this is something that just really gets you thinking at a much deeper level about uh, the world around you and how you impact that world. And so, Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. Hey, Jordan, just uh, give a self-introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what your role is right now. Yeah, my name is Jordan Wooten. Uh, my family and I live here uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. Uh, my wife, Juliana, and I have been married for uh, a little more than 13 years, and, and we have three boys. Uh, John Mark just turned 10, Preston, uh, who just turned 7, and then we've got Graham, who's 5. Uh, he'll be 6 in, in October. Uh, she and I both grew up in East Texas. Uh, we moved here to DFW, uh, I guess it would have been back in 2012, so we've been here about 10 years now. Um, I'm a graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and, and I serve our local church as a lay leader within what we call the Institute, which is which is uh, the education arm of the church. Um, ultimately, you know, it was, it was the ministry of the local church that sort of upended my professional aspirations. Uh, I, I previously worked in, in human resources, uh, but as I learned more through, through the church about God and about the story of Scripture and the kind of person he was calling me to be, it, it just sort of got in my bones and, and kind of reoriented some things for me. So, so over time, uh, that led me to uh, to enroll at Southern Seminary and then eventually to the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, where I now serve. Um, in, in my role there at the ERLC, uh, I serve as a news and culture channel editor, uh, which simply means that I get to write on cultural issues uh, in, in order to, to, to help the church do what you and I will talk more about in a moment, which is to think theologically about what's going on in the culture and, and how best to engage these issues. And, and it's a great privilege. Yeah, and I think in today's world, having things to write about on the culture is not something that, <laughs> it's, uh, that's not a quiet front right now, is it? Yeah, no, there, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of material out there. Well, hey, let's jump into some questions that uh, I'd just love to ask you today and get your feedback on it. Let's start with this. From a Christian worldview, do you see the culture trending in a positive or a negative direction? You know, at one level, it, it seems it seems really clear that the culture is moving in a direction, you know, we, we would certainly call negative. Um, in, in addition to the, the cultural political issues that, that clearly, you know, contradict the Christian worldview, um, things like, uh, like the issue of abortion or, or the conversation around human sexuality and, and sexual ethics, um, the racial unrest across the country, you know, there seems to be, in addition to all of that, uh, this this uh, this growing ethic of of outrage of, of skepticism cynicism sort of a sort of an unreasonableness if, if I can use that as a word uh, you know that, that continues to bubble up and, and affect the way that we that we see each other the way that we think about each other the, the way that we talk to and about each other so you know from this perspective that the negative trend seems pretty clear um, and it seems swift moving and, and somewhat comprehensive. Uh, you know, a- a- affecting nearly every facet of American culture, certainly outside the church, um, but in some cases, more, you know, more often than we'd like to admit inside the church as well. Um, but but on the other hand, you know, within the church, there, there does seem to be what, what I'll call, um, I guess, kind of a, a heightened Christian zeal, so to speak. And, and I'm using that term term positively. Um, it, it, it seems to be taking hold in the church, um, at, at the church where we belong, for instance, uh, and I'm a product of this. Over the course of the last five to six years, especially, 
uh, as the institute that I mentioned earlier has, has been established and it's grown, we've had hundreds and, and thousands of people go through the classes and curriculum taught in that ministry. And, and it, it shows no signs of slowing down. And I know that we're not the only church in this area and, and across the country even who are experiencing this sort of boon. So, I, you know, I, I think in some ways um, it's really a tale of two movements. And, and it's, you know, in some ways that's always been the case. Um, the, the trend that's that's um, that's kind of leading toward progressivism and, and expressive individualism and, and that worldview, it gets a lot of the press and therefore it, it would appear that, that our culture is kind of on that swift and direct path away from what's good and right and true. Uh, but right alongside that, you know, there, there are some unheralded cultural developments going on among Christians that I think should encourage us and, and give us hope, um, kind of, kind of a, a renewed devotion to faithfulness, we could call it. Um, and, and then, you know, even outside the church, uh, in the places where the culture has clearly gone awry, and, and it, it has, um, all, all's not lost. You know, it, seem, it seems to me that, some of the passions that our culture is exhibiting, you know, the issues that they're so fiery about, and, and, and you could pick from a long list of, of issues, even where they're aimed away from truth and ultimate reality, these, these can be viewed as opportunities for Christians to, to jump in there and, and build relationships and begin sowing gospel seeds. Um, I, I think we just need to muster up the courage to view our quote-unquote opponents as, as people and to engage with them instead of, you know, uh, what's often the case of kind of flinging insults at, at, at folks from behind the veil of a computer screen. Culture is interesting because, you know, I've, you know, I've talked about this before on the podcast. I've seen all these definitions of culture. Uh, how would you describe when somebody says, you're, Jordan, you're talking about the culture. What, what's a good definition of what culture actually means? Well, you know, like you said, there, there are a lot of, a lot of definitions floating around uh, for culture out there and a lot of them good. Um, I, I've, you know, personally, I've been influenced a lot by Andy Crouch and his work on culture, um, especially in his book, Culture Making. Uh, and, and in that book, he defines culture as, um, you know, he says that culture is what we make of the world. Uh, I think, you know, I think that's a strong definition. It, it, it necessarily includes everything from the products that we create to the systems and institutions we build and the thought that fuels those sorts of things and, and so on. So, you know, though it's it's sort of generic, it is uh, it's it's a purposefully broad and, and comprehensive way of, of defining culture. So, so that's I think it's a good place to start. Now, now, when I'm I'm talking about culture, I'm I am thinking most specifically about the we that that Crouch references in his definition. You know, cu- culture and cultures cannot exist without the people that inhabit them. So. So when I talk about engaging the culture, I am thinking about certain issues and, 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 and things of that nature. That's that's for sure. But I'm, I'm thinking most fundamentally uh, about engaging with the people who inhabit those culture. Uh, so not, not to the exclusion of systems and institutions. We, we do have to engage at that level as well. But but it begins most fundamentally, most centrally with, with people. So, you know, if I were to take a stab at, at offering my own definition, it would probably uh, sound pretty similar to how you've defined it on this podcast, that, you know, that culture is the hearts and minds of the people. Um, I, I might just add that culture, you know, in some sense is is the people themselves and, and kind of what flows out of them. Let's let's press in on that now and uh, with that cultural definition in mind and press in on, on the church. What does it mean for the church to think theologically about cultural engagement? And I ask this specifically because very interestingly, that's the question that 
put you on my radar screen in a blog that I saw recently. And and so you wrote about that. I thought it was brilliant. A lot of wisdom exhibited in that. So uh, flesh that out a little bit for us. Uh, what does it mean for the church to think theologically about cultural engagement? Well, thank you for that. That's really kind. Um, you know, it's been it's been a question driving a lot of my thinking over the last several years. As I've kind of you know, I mentioned earlier about uh, the, the way that um, my deepening knowledge of God and the mission of God and the story of God has kind of reoriented me professionally. This question has been the one that's, that's been driving me forward over, over that course of time. Um, and so for Christians, thinking theologically about engaging culture, uh, it, it means you know, pretty, pretty broadly that, that we view and approach culture and cultural engagement uh, and, and all of life for that matter. I mean, all of all of life through the lens of the Christian narrative. Um, it, it means to put it another way that that our theology is meant to inform or drive our cultural and political assumptions and actions, for example, and and not the other way around. Which I think can can be a real temptation for for Christians in America, if, if we're honest. So, you know, as an example, a pretty pretty simple example, thinking theologically about cultural engagement means. That a Christian who is a Republican, for instance, uh, is to view a Democrat, whether they are Christian or not, not as evil, not as an enemy, but as a person made in the image of God, deserving of respect in, in how we speak to and about that person, how, how we treat them, um, our interactions with them, our thinking about them, or to flow from this understanding. Um, and, and so, of course, the same could be said with respect to, to any other label that we attach to ourselves or others. So pro-lifers toward those who are pro-choice and vice versa, or or um, natural American citizens toward those who maybe are immigrants or refugees and, and vice versa and, and, and on and on. We're not to view others as, as other, uh, which is an idea that, that Alan Jacobs writes about a lot in, in his, his books and, and blog posts. We're not to view others as other, but as fellow image bearers. Um, I, I think likewise, and, and, and this is really important, that uh, we are to view whatever domain of culture that God has placed us in as you know, as an opportunity in some sense to carry out the cultural mandate to, to work and keep the culture, uh, to work it and watch over, the CSB says. Um, so whether you know in our workplaces, uh, on social media, in our homes, in the political arena, or, or wherever we find ourselves, having the Christian narrative drive our cultural engage- engagement means that you know though we should certainly be quick to call out evils and injustices where they exist and work to thwart them. You know, we don't have to view culture as a whole with with disdain or speak derisively about it and those who inhabit it. Um, instead, we can and should seek to take, take dominion over it in both large and small, seen and unseen ways to, you know, to, to, to bring about fruitfulness and flourishing where God has placed us. So instead of being um, the outraged cynics and skeptics that I mentioned earlier, we can be culture makers. Um, and, and then, uh, of course, briefly, it means the Christians, though we, though we may lament over the state of the culture in our, in our context, and, and rightfully so in many cases, we ought not to be prone to despair, um, imagining um, the state of the culture as somehow reflective of the state of God's ultimate rule. You, you mentioned this earlier. God remains firmly planted in his seat of power, just as committed to his providential care of the world as ever. And, and, and he can bring a revival, revival to the most wayward cultures with a single word. So, so just, I guess, to, to, to kind of restate um, the, the answer, uh, thinking theologically about cultural engagement means having our entire conception of the world informed by the entire story of Scripture. Yeah, great definition of that. Now, where does theism and natural law fit into how Christians engage the culture? 
sadly, that's not an easy question to answer. You know, it, it's becoming in some ways more more difficult. It, it, it is clear that that in some ways American culture has and and continues to secularize, uh, where, whereas theism, whether it was Christian or not, has long been the cultural assumption of our society. You know, kind of our plausibility structure, if you will. Over the last couple few decades, that that's really begun to change and, and pretty rapidly. Uh, we, we can no longer assume that that our neighbors believe that God. Uh, any God exists, and if one does, that, that it really matters. Um, mo- moreover, the individualism—excuse me, individualism—that that's taken taken the culture by storm has really served to undermine uh, any belief in uh, theism or natural law or objective truths and morality. So, you know, it's not just theists, but as Christian theists who believe not only in objective moral truth, but the exclusivity of Christ and the Christian worldview. We have a real uphill battle ahead of us if we wish to not only engage the culture, but to transform it. Um, increasingly, uh, I think our, our views on issues like sexuality and our stance on abortion may seem more and more unthinkable to a changing culture. We have to learn how to be viewed as weird or, or worse um, and, and not let it shake our convictions. And, and then, you know, this is, I think this is the bedrock of Christian cultural engagement, that, that regardless of what sort of culture we're engaging theistic or atheistic or whatever, the Spirit of God dwells in us. He empowers us. He gives us what to say, that the Son of God, seated at the Father's right side, prays for us, and then God the Father delights in us and is for us. So so in other words, as Christians, when we engage the culture, we do so in the name and with the power of the triune God. Mm, Yeah, good stuff. Now, You wrote a line in the blog piece that first made me aware of you that just really jumped out. I mean, uh, all of it was good, but there was one line that just really jumped out to me, and it was it's kind of what one of these self-evident truths that I think uh, all of us as believers can overlook. And that line was this. You wrote that the gospel is not threatened by culture. Expand on that a little bit. I I think if we're not careful, um, um, whether intentionally or not, we we can tend to view the culture as something – almost to avoid entirely, but because we may be afraid that, that by, by engaging we'll, we'll be rendered unclean or, 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 or something along those lines because, because we interact with it. Um, and, and while there, you know, there may be a, sli- a sliver of wisdom in this, I mean, you know, to think of culture broadly, um, there, there are, uh, you know, most likely television shows and movies and music and institutions and, and the like that, that we should avoid. Uh, but if, if we apply this thinking too broadly, uh, then we will never interact with anyone or anything outside of our immediate Christian context. And, and if that's the case, then the culture and its inhabitants will, will continue on this negative trajectory that we talked about earlier. And, and so, I, you know, it, it's important to understand that the gospel, um, like, like we mentioned, just, it doesn't change. It doesn't bend. It doesn't shape in response to whatever cultural moment it finds itself in. Um, it, The gospel is a declaration of the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That according to the scriptures, Jesus has reconciled through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and now his heavenly session, sinful men and women to the Father by the Spirit. This this truth doesn't change. Uh, Instead, men and women are changed in response to being confronted to to this truth. So, you know, we who have been saved by God, we, we don't have to fear being unsaved by encountering the culture. And we don't have to fear that the gospel itself will be warped by its interaction with the culture. Instead, you know, we can we can freely and confidently engage the culture in the power of the gospel. And so I, I guess we could say it like this. Cultural engagement for the Christian is nothing less than confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Mm. Yeah, and you know, I think in American culture, uh, honestly, uh, the church has been spoiled for a long time in enjoying a culture that still, in many, many ways, shows the benefit of, of a Christian heritage, and yet... Uh, at the same time, it makes us very uncomfortable as it continues to drift away from that. But when we look with reality at the Roman Empire under which Jesus walked the earth and which the early church formed, it was not a church-friendly um, culture at that time. <laughs> so, uh, so as Americans, we're a little bit spoiled and, and we're made uncomfortable by all of this. We have to look in the context of, of, uh, of, of church history uh, to get a better grip on some of this as well. Now, You know this from, I'm sure, a lot of discussions that you've had with individuals. There are various levels in, um, you know, within the church of individuals that are either calling for, on one end, increased political activity, we're not doing enough, we've got to throw everything we've got into politics, but then you've got this other end of the spectrum in which uh, there's sort of this rising call. Uh, it's not huge, but there I, I do hear it more and more, uh, this rising call just to totally disengage that Christians should uh, sort of just circle the wagons, pull away, and say we're going to uh, pretty much take care of ourselves and our family because everything around us is so bad that we're just uh, going to disengage. What are your thoughts on a just total engage disengagement strategy in the Christian life? Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise it. I, I think while you know while we're certainly called to serve as a sort of um, a contrast community, uh, showing the, the surrounding culture what true life, uh, what life with God looks like, that, that certainly is not a mandate for us to you know to kind of pack up. Excuse me, pack up and. And take up some sort of monastic approach to life, where we where we retreat uh, from any and all interactions with the culture. Um, you know, like we talked about, there, there are certainly instances where we should refrain from from taking part in, in aspects of the culture, cultural practices, and establishments. Uh, those that those that kind of buck up against what we know to be good and right. Uh, but but if we if we retreat entirely, you know, if we remove the salt and light entirely from from the culture. Then not only will the culture swiften this this uh, this negative trend, but men and women won't encounter the gospel message at all. So, so no, I, I don't I don't think disengaging from the culture altogether is what God calls us to. Now, in the context of the abortion issue, and you know the Love Times to podcast with the organization, uh, we are striving to make the world a better place for moms and babies, including unborn babies. And that's a broad statement. And as I mentioned that to folks, you know, I will get the occasional, you're never going to make that happen, sort of the, uh, this is a losing battle type of thing. Uh, but we know meaningfully as, as believers that there are a lot of ways, in fact, uh, many, many more ways uh, to have an impact in this realm than just, for example, going to the polls. And I say just going to the polls. I don't mean that it's unimportant uh, because that's an exercise of, of freedom and stewardship to uh, know which candidates you're voting for and, and that sort of thing. But I think it's an easy out for the movement as a whole just to say the way we're going to engage the culture is always politically driven. So thinking outside of the political box that we sometimes create, what are some meaning what are some meaningful ways for engaging the culture specifically on life issues? You know, I'm glad that you used uh, the polls as an example. Um, I, I have been um, I've been influenced a lot by uh, James Davison Hunter, who's he's a sociologist at the University of Virginia. And in his book, To 
change the world. Um, it, it's, it's sort of his take on Christian cultural engagement and our efforts to kind of transform the culture like we've talked about. He talks about um, our, our political responsibilities and, and the primary way in, in which we tend to engage those responsibilities, and, and his thinking applies here. Um, so uh, quickly, he, he says that, that when we think about exercising these responsibilities, politically or otherwise, you know, we can often tend to use our vote, like like you like you mentioned, um, kind of as a way of, again, intentionally or not, but as a way of resituating our responsibilities onto someone else, onto onto the one we're voting for in this case. It's, you know, saying in effect that that our responsibilities stop at the voting booth, voting booth, or, or to use another example, that our, our responsibilities stop. You know, once we click post or tweet or, or whatever it may be. And, and that kind of engagement, like, like you mentioned, though it's important, is it's much different. It's, it's much less costly than actually involving oneself in, in the work of carrying out the cultural mandate like we talked about earlier. So, so my point um, and Hunter's point is that in addition to doing things like voting, which is incredibly important, obviously, or tweeting or, or whatever, Christians ought to be the people who embrace our responsibility and directly engage these issues ourselves, no matter the cost. So so there are some methods of engagement that are, you know, that are pretty obvious. They're, they're time tested. The church has, has been participating in them for a long time. So, you know, serving in crisis pregnancy centers, for example, ministering to the men and women there who find themselves in desperate situations or uh, giving financially to, to organizations that, that, that are, uh, you know, pro-life and, 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 and working towards that end. Um, solving, or excuse me, serving in, in foster care, adoption ministries, another way to engage. And then, of course, politically, not just voting, but but advocating for pro-life legislation at the state and federal levels, which, as you know, you know it includes more than, than, than just the issue of abortion, but how we treat immigrants and refugees, the work that we do towards stamping out pornography, uh, how we approach the issue of racism, all, all these things. So all of these options are on the table and, and more. I mean, we could yeah, we could we could spend an entire episode on on, on options like this, but I'll say this um, um, kind of in sum, and, and this is sort of this is my hobby horse. Uh, th- there is a way to engage life issues, particularly those surrounding the issue of abortion, that is concerned with truth and justice, absolutely, but that is also compassionate and, and charitable. You know, so, so much of the rhetoric surrounding this issue. Is, is often devoid of love and compassion. And, and that's simply not a Christ-like way of engaging the issue. Uh, the, the way that we talk about this issue and the people involved in this issue, those mothers and fathers who are grappling with weighty, weighty decisions is immensely important. Um, our, our words matter. The book of Proverbs says that the power of life and death is wrapped up in the words that proceed from our mouth. You know, we need to be a people who get the issue right, absolutely but who get it right in the right way. If Christians want to be uh, known as a people who are pro-life, if, if we want to actually be a people who are pro-life, uh, it begins with the way that we speak. That's a great word. I mean, if individuals feel like we are exhibiting hatred towards them, for example, why would we imagine they would care what we have to say about anything uh, on an engul- uh, cultural engagement type level? And I love what you said earlier as well about uh, cultural engagement, not looking at people as groups, but looking at as people as people. And one of the uh, really good uh, small books that I've, I've read over the last year is The Master Plan of Evangelism. Uh, and it's a wonderful book. If, if uh, listeners haven't uh, read that book, I would encourage them to go to uh, a used bookstore. Actually, that's what I use. I get cheap books 
books do use booksellers. Uh, but you can find the book out there easily on the Internet. But what's interesting about that book is uh, it will rock your world in that in the in the master plan of evangelism. It's a study of how Christ did ministry on the earth. And he didn't have Facebook and he didn't have Twitter and he didn't have all these social media avenues and he didn't do mass media. It was all about investing in leaders around him and investing in people. And that's the perspective that certainly we need to take. If we're going to say uh, love times two, love mom and love baby and exhibit God's love as well as our love for individuals in crisis, for example, um, the, the way we're going to do that is uh, individually, person to person, not by, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier as well, going out there and, and engaging in angry uh, social media back and forths and all that kind of stuff. One more question I've got for you. It's, it's often been said over the last few years. I've heard it a lot. I've said it at some point. I've, I've heard the, the comment that millennials represent the most pro-life generation of Americans ever. Now, I've got my perspective on it, but I want to hear from you. What is your thought? Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Oh, goodness. I, you know, I, <laughs> I put you on the spot with that <laughs> one, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Pro- honestly, probably not. Um, uh, as a millennial myself, uh, you know, depending on what years you use to define millennial, I know there's some debate around that. Uh, e- even though I'd be happy for my generation to wear that label, you know, as the most pro-life generation ever, <laughs> I don't know if I want to make such a such a big claim. I, I, I will say this: uh, we have a real opportunity right now uh, to continue chipping away at, at the pro-choice narrative uh, and the implications that have come from from that narrative. That there's been. Um, a lot of legislation passed recently, other developments that are, that are all cause for optimism on, on a variety of issues. Uh, so regardless of who, who carries the mantle of being that most pro-life generation ever, we, we all have the potential right now to make to make good headway in preserving the lives of, of unborn children and, and caring for their mothers and fathers, both, you know, both in terms of legislative measures and, and more importantly, by the gracious service and, and winsome Christian witness of the Church of Jesus Christ. But it, you know, it'll require that we exercise the courage to actually engage. And, and, and as Christians, the only appropriate way to do that, I think, is to ensure that our theology, our, our understanding of who God is and what he calls us to, drives our cultural and political engagement. Mm. Yeah, great word. Well, hey, Jordan, thanks for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Do you have a uh, do you have a website or do you have any way that listeners can connect with you if they want to learn more about uh, what you're doing or, or read your blogs? Um, you know, you can. I'm not the most active social media person. You can follow me if you're interested in that. Um, it's at Jordan underscore Wooten, and there's two T's in Wooten, so at J-O-R-D-A-N underscore Wooten, W-O-O-T-T-E-N. Um, that, that's probably the quickest way to, to see what's going on. Most of most of what I write ends up there, so, so that'd be a good place to start. Great. Well, hey, thank you for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, the works that you've done, and I really look forward to seeing new stuff come out from you as well. So I appreciate your time, Jordan. Thank you. Hey, thanks. It's been a pleasure, Mike. This has been 139, the official podcast of Love Times 2. Join us in the journey at lovetimes2.org. That's love, the letter X, and the number 2, dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening.